This is The Well, the audio broadcast ministry of Henry Wade, senior pastor at Inyo Kern Baptist Church in Inyo Kern, California. Join us today as we take a nice, long, refreshing drink of the living water found only in God's Word, the Bible. Here's Pastor Henry with today's lesson. I just really thought it was worth noting, and that's one of the reasons I shared with the kids, but I want to lay it out for you today that when Paul ministered in Corinth, he obeyed the commission, and he preached the gospel. There's this wonderful parallel between Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, which is the Great Commission, you all know that, and Acts 18, 1 through 11. I just want to look at it for just a moment. We have Christ's commission, right? Christ's commission. Verse 19, he said, go therefore. Now, since he laid it out this way, Lena, you get to bounce back and forth slide to slide. <laughs> well, you should have go to Paul's ministry. Acts 18, 1 through 11. It said, go therefore, he went to Corinth. Back in Matthew. He said, make disciples or teach in verse 19. Paul's ministry, many heard and believed. You can't hear unless somebody tells it to you, right? Christ's commission, he said, baptizing them. Paul, many were baptized. Many were. You see how he's doing the Great Commission? Shouldn't we all be doing the Great Commission? Shouldn't we all be doing the Great Commission? Yes. Yeah, but we're kind of guilty because we don't. Next thing Jesus said was teaching them. Paul, for a year and six months, he taught the Word. I mean, he taught it longer than that, but in Corinth. And then, of course, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. And then Paul heard that in a dream, for I am with you. We should all be doing that. Paul was doing it. We kind of get behind, but I think one of the reasons is that is we have not, and I say we, I'm talking about me too, is that we, we haven't stayed focused in the right direction sometimes. You know? I think I've told you before, I know I've told you before, I've, I've met people in like, the post office and all, and they say, oh, Golly, I just can't seem to get back to church. And my response is always, you always have time for what you make a priority. Which is a slap in the face right after you tell me you couldn't make it. Which is okay, because that's my personality. Nobody ever said I was nice. Okay, let's get to 1 Corinthians now. Let's get to 1 Corinthians now. Did you notice the first words in verse 2? were and I, and I. Now, when somebody opens with something like that, especially since the and I is actually translated accordingly, it's almost as if you get to verse and it says therefore. Well, we've talked about that. If you see the word therefore, you need to go back and find out what it's there for. Okay? And I. Paul's going, well, now if you just opened your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and you said and I, what would you be asking yourself? And I what? Well, to find that out, you have to go back to 1 Corinthians. You see, he was actually 
beginning that chapter on the basis of the last verse in 31, verse 31 and, and 1, he's talking about the glory of God. You see, Paul had not come to Corinth to glorify himself or to start some religious fan club. He had come to glorify God. And I mean, we're supposed to all be doing it. Glorify God in everything we do, everything we say, everywhere we go. Now, I have to admit, I've got to share with you. I, I do have this tendency of flipping the, the country music channel. Because you, you take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. And that's a problem sometimes. But. See, where Paul was at there in Corinth, they, they had these itinerant philosophers uh, that were there and, and, and uh, guys that called themselves teachers, and they actually depended on their wisdom and their eloquence to gain followers. Francis Chan, some of you have heard of him, some of you may not. He was a very effective uh, communicator and, and a pastor. I believe when he was most effective, he was in San Francisco. Right now, he's kind of itinerant himself. But he spoke at one of the conferences we had. And the first words out of his mouth, because he had just left the church, he said, I want to be honest with you right here. He said, I can get a large group of people if I just have good music and I speak eloquently. But they'll all go to hell because they won't know Jesus. The speakers, the philosophers in that day, they depended on their eloquence of speech the, the city was filled with these spell-binding speakers. Paul did not depend on eloquent speech or on clever arguments. He simply declared God's word in the power of the Spirit. He was an ambassador, not a Christian salesman. You've all met salesmen that can convince you to buy something you didn't really want. Hmm? Yeah. See, had he used speech and philosophy, Paul would have exalted himself and he would have hidden the very Christ he came to proclaim. God sent him to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. That was from verse 17, chapter 1. We read it three weeks ago. I read this story of this certain church they had this beautiful stained glass window behind the pulpit I don't know how many of you remember when we had this, that really big lighted cross back there it was huge anyway there was this they had this um, big glass stained glass window behind the pulpit and it had a depiction of Jesus Christ on the cross well one Sunday there was a guest minister this guest minister was actually much smaller in stature than the regular pastor and the story is that this little girl listened to the guest for a short time, and then she turned to her mother and she said, where is the man who usually stands there so we can't see Jesus? When we're being who we are, can people see Jesus or do they just see us? My wife read this thing to me the other day I thought was, was just hilarious. You know, as, as I was growing up, and many of you were growing up, a, a lot of people used to keep journals and diaries, and they would get just so mad if somebody read their diary. 
Now everybody posts on Facebook and gets mad if they don't read it. You know? But do people see Jesus or us? No. I think today, too many preachers of the word magnify themselves so much in their gifts that they fail to reveal the glory of Jesus. Paul gloried in the cross and made it the center of his message. Throughout chapter 1, Paul wrote about God's wisdom in salvation and God's wisdom in the people that he calls and uses. And in both cases, God's wisdom is foolishness in the world's eyes. Now as we hit this section of chapter 2, Paul's going to reveal to us three requirements for receiving divine wisdom, which is way gooder than human wisdom. Right? So here we go. Number one, be sure to find it in God's Word. There are so many books out there that are wonderful, they are educational, and they are not the Word of God. Doesn't mean you don't read them. We need education. We need direction. But we should always compare it back to the Word of God. In the very first verse that Brother Toby read to us, it said, And I, when I came to you, brothers. What's that saying is it's reflecting or referring to Paul's first visit to Corinth during his second missionary journey. That's when he founded the church in Corinth. It's recorded in Acts chapter 18 for those of you that like to research that. And we know that Paul was a brilliant scholar and a great debater. But he finished verse 1 with, that I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. See, faith that depends on clever arguments or eloquent speakers will be destroyed when a better argument or orator comes along. That's letter A. Be destroyed when a better orator comes along. Folks, I don't mean to scare you on this one, but I'm going to have to. That's why some college professors cause many young believers to question their faith. Because unfortunately, the majority of them nowadays in secular universities are coming from a Marxist point of view. And that's not what we want. That's why we have to encourage especially teenagers as they leave the youth groups and they begin to go to, away to college that they find a church when they're there to help balance them. Education is necessary today. Not saying that it's not, but it needs to be balanced with influence from a godly church, a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Amen. No? You're listening to The Well with Pastor Henry Wade. There's more coming up right after this. Hi, this is Pastor Henry's wife, Michelle. I'm so glad you've joined us for today's audio broadcast. My husband asked me to let you know that he's made his study notes available for download. This is a great way for you to follow along as we enjoy God's Word together, or even for your own personal study time at home. You can find Henry's notes on his website, henryawade.com. And thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day to study the Bible with us here on The Well. 
And now back to our study with Pastor Henry Wade. Now, as we hit this section of chapter 2, Paul's going to reveal to us three requirements for receiving divine wisdom, which is way gooder than human wisdom. Right? So here we go. Number one, be sure to find it in God's Word. There are so many books out there that are wonderful, they are educational, and they are not the Word of God. Doesn't mean you don't read them. We need education. We need direction. But we should always compare it back to the Word of God. In the very first verse that Toby read to us, it said, And I, when I came to you, brothers. What's that saying is it's reflecting or referring to Paul's first visit to Corinth during his second missionary journey. That's when he founded the church in Corinth. It's recorded in Acts chapter 18 for those of you that like to research that. And we know that Paul was a brilliant scholar and a great debater. But he finished verse 1 with, that I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. See, faith that depends on clever arguments or eloquent speakers will be destroyed when a better argument or orator comes along. That's letter A. Be destroyed when a better orator comes along. Folks, I don't mean to scare you on this one, but I'm going to have to. That's why some college professors cause many young believers to question their faith. Because unfortunately, the majority of them nowadays in secular universities are coming from a Marxist point of view. And that's not what we want. That's why we have to encourage especially teenagers as they leave the youth groups and they begin to go to, away to college that they find a church when they're there to help balance them. Education is necessary today. Not saying that it's not, but it needs to be balanced with influence from a godly church, a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Amen. No. So Paul, instead of using his impressive oratory abilities, he came to the Corinth proclaiming the testimony of God, which today we call the gospel. It's the good news. See, concerning his visit to Corinth, Paul writes, For I decided to know or to preach nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So the, so the Corinthians could not deny they came to Christ through a gospel that did not employ great oratory or human wisdom. And Paul goes on and he writes, I was with you in weakness. Weakness there refers to a physical ailment or disease. Now we know that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that was. Some scholars, they believe that the thorn of flesh that tormented Paul was malaria that he had contracted on one of his missionary journeys. Don't know that. Others believe that it might have been very poor eyesight. And we get that because if you look at what he wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he said, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. See, all of his letters to the churches, he did not write them. He dictated them. 
And they were written by scribes that would write it all down. So it could have been either. But Paul preached the gospel in physical weakness. When, when he, he also came to the Corinthians, he said, in much fear and trembling. In much fear and trembling. When Paul was in Philippi, he and Silas were stripped of their clothing. They were scourged or flogged and imprisoned. That's Acts chapter 16. Then he had to sneak out of Thessalonica and Berea because people wanted to kill him. Acts 17. After all this, he comes to Corinth. Now, any sane person would live in fear and much trembling if they had experienced what Paul did. But because of Paul's physical and emotional state, he writes, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. See, in spite of Paul's physical and emotional state, Corinth exploded in response to this Holy Spirit-empowered preaching of the gospel. It exploded. Because of this, Paul could better understand what God meant when he told him the reason to keep his thorn. See, what, what God told Paul when he prayed three times to remove the thorn in the flesh is recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Reading from the New Living Translation, God's word says, each time he said, meaning God's response back to Paul, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. I don't think that's an answer any of us want to hear in prayer. Lord, I, I need your help right here. My grace is all you need. Can you hear it coming at you right now? Yeah. Lord, Lord, you've got to help me through this trial. My grace is all you need. Oh, man. So what did it do? It made Paul more focused on the gospel. See, what God did through Paul at Corinth is a great example of the truth that God revealed. Now, now, now we've got to move on, and this, is a, this next verse is kind of really personal. Because this next verse actually contains my goal as a pastor. Paul writes, chapter 2, verse 5, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I don't ever want anybody to place their faith because of something or somehow I said it. Your faith needs to be rooted in God men will fail you guaranteed God will never fail you he may say my grace is sufficient for you but he won't fail you letter B Paul wanted them to trust in God and not in the messenger God sent that's what I want for everyone who hears me teach or preach. I want your faith to be based on God's power, not on the wisdom of men, including me. 
You know, years ago, this wise Christian said to me, when you are leading people to Christ, never tell them that they are saved because they have done this or that. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to witness to people that they are saved. And unless he is at work, there is no salvation. Let me give you a story. There's a, there was this uh, very well-dressed uh, professional man, I will call him, who faithfully attended a church that, that we attended in Hesperia. He was a, 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 just a regular man. He was unsaved, but he was not antagonistic to the gospel. Many of us had prayed for him uh, as he continued to listen to the word. Well, one day, a Christian friend of his decided to win him to Christ or else. He spent several hours presenting argument after argument, and finally the man prayed the sinner's prayer, and he stopped coming to church. Why is that? Because he had been talked into something that was not real, and he knew he could not follow through on it. Later on, he did trust Christ, and through the Spirit, have the assurance of salvation. You see, up to that point, if anybody asked him if he were saved, he would reply, sure, Tom told me I was saved. The difference in true salvation and being talked into something is the Spirit gives the assurance. When the Holy Spirit is in your life, he starts to work. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced or been around a person that is radically transformed. When you see them, one day they are however kind of degradation that they live in. All of a sudden the Spirit gets a hold of them and they get saved and the next day you wouldn't recognize them because they're on fire. Now those people are difficult to handle. Because they get all excited and they want to tell everybody about Jesus. Next thing you know you're baptizing every Sunday. It's just, it's a wonderful thing, actually, when people get excited because they're saved of the Holy Spirit coming into their life. Folks, I want to share with you that the gospel is still God's power to change people's lives. Effectiveness in evangelism does not depend on our arguments, on our persuasive gimmicks, but on the power of the Spirit of God at work in our lives and through the word that we share. Okay, the second thing. I'm already running late and I haven't even got to the second point. Understand that it is reserved for those who love God. Read with me if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 9. There's six through nine, English Standard Version. God's Word says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Folks, if you don't hear anything else, please hear this. Salvation was purchased by the Son, but it was planned by the Father. 
Those who talk about the simple gospel are both right and wrong. Yet the message of the gospel is simple enough for an illiterate pagan to understand, believe, and be saved. But it is also so profound that the most brilliant theologian cannot fathom its depths. Paul has been writing about how he preaches to the lost and the spiritually immature, but now he writes, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, because they are doomed to pass away. See, when Paul was among mature believers, he spoke words of wisdom, but not faulty wisdom of the world. Faulty wisdom is doomed to pass away. Paul explains, but we impart the secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed. See, the world doesn't understand God's wisdom. Paul put it like this in verse 8. Just review there with me for a second. New Living Translation. But the rulers of this world would not have understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. Letter A in your outline. The crucifixion proves the world doesn't understand God's wisdom. Paul is telling the Corinthians that pursuing human wisdom puts them in the same company as the people who crucified the Lord that they claim to worship. Paul begins in verse 9. He says, this is what the scriptures mean to say. Now, what he, the next thing he talks about is actually a paraphrasing of verses from Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 52, 64, and 65. And this is what he says. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. No mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's just a simple way of saying, keep your fork, the best is yet to come. See, in this verse, Paul, Paul is not referring to the wonders of heaven, though it would be true if it applied to heaven. Paul is referring to the divine wisdom the wisdom God has prepared for believers. It means that ordinary ways of understanding things, the ear, the mind, uh, the, the eye, cannot comprehend the wisdom of God. Letter B, God only reveals his wisdom to those who love him. Those who love him. Well, how do you know if you really love the Lord? Well, surprisingly, Jesus has an answer for that. When he was here in flesh and blood, he answered that question. It's recorded for you in the book of John, the 14th chapter, the 15th verse. Really simple, yet very hard. If you love me, here it comes, you will keep my commands. And there's always a catch, isn't there? Okay, so if you're going to receive, receive divine wisdom, easy for me to say, right? Receive divine wisdom. First, make sure it's from the Word of God. Secondly, remember, it is only reserved for those who love God. And then number three, you need to rely on the Holy Spirit. You need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 through 16. Reading from God's Word translation. God has revealed those things to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, especially the deep things of God. 
After all, who knows everything about a person except that person's own spirit? In the same way, no one has known everything about God except God's spirit. Now, we didn't receive the spirit that belongs to the world. Instead, we received the spirit who comes from God so that we could know the things which God has freely given us. Verse 13. We don't speak about these things using teachings that are based on intellectual arguments like people do. Instead, we use the Spirit's teachings. We explain spiritual things to those who have the Spirit. A person who isn't spiritual doesn't accept the teachings of God's Spirit. He thinks they're nonsense. He can't understand them because a person must, have spiritual, must be spiritual to evaluate them. Spiritual people evaluate everything but are subject to no one's evaluation. Who has, the known, who has known the mind of the Lord so that he can teach him? However, we have the mind of Christ. Now, folks, the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer at salvation is God's agent of communication and revelation. You'll notice in the beginning in verse 10, it used the word revealed. Revealed, which of course in Greek is the, is the word apocalypto. It's a word that we get our word apocalypse from and means to unveil or to cover. You remember I told you that when we began the study on the revelation. It's an revelation means an unveiling, an uncovering. So as you read God's word and you hear it taught or preached, the Holy Spirit works in your mind to uncover and reveal the wisdom of God. Letter A in this one. Human wisdom is unlocked by intellect, but divine wisdom is unlocked by the Holy Spirit through God's written word. Paul continues in verse 10, helping us see that only the Holy Spirit can help us understand the deep things of God. Look at verse 11 again with me. As Paul explains this principle, he said, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So, also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, you have to agree that no one can know you as well as you know yourself. You have thoughts, attitudes, and feelings that no one knows but you. In the same way, no one can understand the depths of God except as they are revealed through God's Holy Spirit. Therefore, Paul writes in verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. God has freely given us salvation and all its benefits through the death of His Son on the cross. Letter B, in the Bible, this is summed up in one word. Grace. Grace. Paul continues in verse 13. And we impart this in the words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. See, the words taught by the Spirit to Paul and the apostles were written down, and they became what we call the New Testament. God's wisdom is concealed from unbelievers in this book, but it is revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit to everyone who believes. I know many people that have, that, especially back to Victor Valley Community College, they had this class. It was called the Bible as Literature. 
And in the fall, he went through the Old Testament. In the spring, he went through the New Testament. And then it just went back and forth. Now, it wasn't an elective. It was actually an English class. It counted for your English grade. The Bible is literature. And I know many people that went through that class that had no more knowledge of God now than before they took it. They can't because God only reveals it to those who love him. It was just a bunch of words. Just a bunch of words. It's only revealed by the Spirit to everyone who believes. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. So the natural, natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The successful Christian learns the vocabulary of, of the Spirit and makes use of it. He knows the meaning of justification, sanctification, adoption, propitiation, election, inspiration, and so forth. Some of you just went, oops, slipped off the train. See, in understanding God's vocabulary, we come to understand God's word and God's will for our lives. If, if an engineering student can grasp the technical terms of chemistry, physics, or electronics, why, why should it be difficult for Christians taught by the Spirit to grasp the vocabulary of Christian church, of Christian truth? He'll reveal it to you. But I still hear church attenders say, Well, this is, this is a quote from an email I got not very long ago. Don't preach doctrine. Just give us heartwarming sermons that will encourage us. Sermons based on what? Do you want me to preach a sermon on how to do your laundry? I can. But... Will that help you grow in Christ? Will it teach you His Word? See, now here comes my philosophy, and, and just hang in there. I think you'll, some of you will agree, and some of you will go, hmm, I wonder. If sermons are not based on doctrine, they will accomplish nothing. Now, I have heard people tell me, but doctrine is so dull. Well, I don't think so if it's presented the way the Bible presents it. Now, I've listened to certain people read Scripture, and that's kind of dull. But I think it's because they're just trying to get it right, not necessarily because they're trying to fill it or feel it yet. Doctrine to me is exciting. It's exciting. I mean, what, what a thrill it is to be able to study the Bible and let the Spirit teach us the deep things of God. Regardless of their intellectual abilities, folks, an unbeliever cannot understand the things of God. Paul continues in verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things, but 
is himself to be judged by no one. See, those who, those who are spiritual can understand spiritual things, but they cannot be judged or understood by unbelievers. It, it is just as difficult for unbelievers to understand us as it is for them to understand the Bible. Let us see. If people can't understand the Bible, they can't understand the people who live by it. Paul quotes Isaiah 40, verse 13. And he asks, For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? See, apart from the Holy Spirit, no human can understand the mind of the Lord and teach him. Those on that side say that the Bible is pure folly. It's fables. Believers that are indwelt by the Holy Spirit can know the mind of God and understand it's not. Why is that? Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You must allow the Holy Spirit to develop the mind of Christ in you. That's from Philippians chapter 2. How is that done? It's done as you read the Bible and you begin to rely on the Holy Spirit to help you understand what you read. According to Romans 12, 2, that's called the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind. See, to have the mind of Christ, it means to look at life from the Savior's point of view. Having his value and his desires in mind. It means to think God's thoughts and not think as the world thinks. I'm going to close with this. The Corinthian Christians were so wrapped up in the miraculous gifts of the Spirit that they were neglecting the basic ministries of the Spirit. There are so many groups... Uh, in, in churches around today say that unless you have accomplished this certain thing, you're not saved. And they're talking about some gift of the Spirit. I want to share with you that the Holy Spirit becomes present in your body the moment you ask Him in. Now, He continues to do some fillings because some of us need more. Not to mention any names. Y'all just insert your own name in there. But the Corinthian church and some of the other churches around us, their emphasis was all on the Spirit. And they were neglecting the Father and the Son. They're the three in one, folks triune God it is God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit you have to release your life to that you have to release your life to letting him be your Lord and he will be your Savior and once you do that doctrine's not dull anymore it's exciting.
You've been listening to The Well, the audio broadcast ministry of Pastor Henry Wade, Senior Pastor at Inyo Kern Baptist Church in Inyo Kern, California. If you'd like to find out more about this ministry, just go to henryawade.com. When you get there, you'll find all of his audio Bible teachings, study notes, social media links, and other helpful resources. And if you'd like to support this ministry financially, there's a button on Henry's webpage to help you do that. Again, that's henryawade.com. Thanks again so much for being with us, dear friend. And we hope you can join us again next time here on The Well, where people come and receive the living water. Oh,